This episode of The Hungry Gardener is brought to you by the Pearl Film Company, producing high-quality creative content across all storytelling forms, including traditional TV commercials, films, television, documentaries, podcasts, and brand-integrated content. Go to thepearlfilmco.com. This episode of The Hungry Gardener podcast is brought to you by yourgrocer.com.au. Simply order online and enjoy same-day delivery right to your kitchen bench. You can choose from some of Melbourne's best independent butchers, bakers, grocers and coffee roasters and receive it all in one delivery. So skip the traffic, parking and queues and go to yourgrocer.com.au. Enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive two weeks free delivery and $20 off your first order. That's yourgrocer.com.au and remember to enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive your discount today. Hello listeners and welcome to the Hungry Gardener podcast, where I talk to passionate and inspiring guests about my two favourite topics, food and gardening. On this episode of the Hungry Gardener, we speak to Julie Bennett, a favourite gardener of mine with my dream job. Now Julie is the kitchen gardener at Mont Alto Estate on the Mornington Peninsula here in Victoria. The estate is over 50 acres with 30 acres under vine and three acres of production garden. It has a fabulous restaurant and an incredible amount of open space, trees and gardens, as well as artwork spread over the beautiful property. We recorded on the fly during a slow roving tour of the grounds, so expect some wildlife interruptions, we've got wind gusts, tractors and gravel footsteps throughout, but hopefully it adds some spice to the in the moment energy of our warm and wide ranging conversation. I'd also like to just point out that Julie is such a lovely person and I wish to thank her. So Julie, thank you so much for showing me around your garden and you're doing a great job. Also, I'd like to thank Montalto Restaurant for their generous hospitality shown to us on the day. So thank you and I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So have a listen and stay hungry. We're at Mont Alto Winery here today, speaking to the lovely Julie Bennett. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having us today. Great to see you, Phil. It's a lovely spot you got here. It is. As I, you know, I, I, I've said before, you've got my dream job because <laughs> I love it down here on the peninsula. And um, can you tell everyone what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. Look, it's my dream job too, and I'm lucky to be living it now. But um, so I'm the kitchen gardener at Montalto. We have um, three acres now of produce gardens. Um, the property itself is 50 acres with 30 acres under vine. We've also got 1,500 olive trees as well. Um, but the kitchen gardens were started 20 years ago uh, by Wendy Mitchell, who's one of the owners. And um, it's just grown. So we, we sort of started with a few small beds, just supporting the kitchen with mainly just herbs, uh, to now three acres of mixed orchard, uh, netted berries, and then we've got our big new sort of a, like a market garden set up. So it's quite diverse in what we grow. Uh, I grow some unusual things, try to constantly keep up with what, what's what new. and are. Yes, but 99% of what we grow are heirloom varieties, okay. uh, which is really important to me because uh, keeping these seeds alive is really important. Uh, and just also too, then we can... Um, save the seed and share with other people um, and replant them in the garden so um, by doing that as well we find that you know these plants have real provenance they've grown in the soil for years their parents have grown in the soil yeah we'll touch on a little bit later yeah a bit more of that stuff because I find that stuff interesting and I think the audience would as well but how long have you been here for and how did you start uh, well, I've been here for 20 years, so I've been here for pretty much since inception. Um, my background is in viticulture, uh, so I worked in the vineyards for quite a few years. And then uh, as the gardens grew, um, I slowly sort of moved into the produce areas, uh, and it's my, more my passion. Okay. Um, yeah. So you started out on the wine side of the business. Yep. What, 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 how do you get involved in the garden? You know, like, did you put your hand up, said, I can do that, or? Oh, I'm just... sure I did. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, well, Wendy 
uh, and John, the owners, um, they're, it's a, it's, so it's a family business um, and just feeling, you know, part of that family as well. I was sort of able to say to Wendy, if you need a hand, I'd love to help you. So it sort of started a few days a week uh, and then probably about three years ago she handed the baton to me okay. and so now I work closely with the chefs. So were you a gardener to begin with or did you, did you learn on the job? Oh, I think I've always been a gardener. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I've learnt a lot on the job. Um, I have done um, a bit of study, but um, you can't really, you know, you, you I, learn more I, by I actually totally doing. By doing. Definitely. And it's funny, one of the things I've learned is you also, you've got to keep up the skill. Yeah. If you don't do it for a while, you tend to lose it. And, yes. Um, yeah. And their gardens, they're not two days ever the same. No, definitely know? not. Definitely not. You know, how do you, obviously you're, you're growing stuff for the kitchen. Yeah. How much are you growing for the kitchen and how much involvement do you get from the chefs? Um, the chefs are very involved. Um, so I get uh, one chef two days a week to help out. Um, I couldn't do it without them okay. um, because, you know, three acres is a lot. And just having them so involved in the garden, I don't get them asking for zucchinis in the middle of winter. Yeah. Um, they're more in touch with the seasons and, um, and what can be grown. They don't waste a lot of produce, which okay. I find is fantastic because they know how long it takes to grow a parsnip or a celeriac uh, yeah. or a head of broccoli. They get quite inventive yeah. uh, and don't waste, which is fantastic. Now, you get a lot of people through here in we summer. We do, yes. How much of what you grow actually contributes to, to that and is there a story behind? Uh, it fluctuates with the seasons. Uh, and we have three restaurants here. So we have Montalto's Fine Dining Restaurant and then we have our Piazza, which is more a casual diner, and we also have Tux Ridge. Um, so the produce is divided between the three. Uh, each area will have an input of what they want grown. And then, uh, yeah, it'll just sort of depend on the season of how much. So it can be up to 70% yeah. from the garden. Uh, and then in, you know, the hungry gap times, it'll drop to, you know, only a smaller amount, say 20%. Um, but we do get, you know, with growing your own, we have a large orchard and so we'll get a, an absolute glut of apples at yeah. certain times. So the chefs do a lot of pickling and preserving of the crops as well um, to try and um, extend that season. So in terms of planning for what you're growing, how, what's the process there and what are the challenges you face with that as well? Oh, lots of challenges. Um, probably I sit down with the chefs and we walk as well with the head chefs around the garden. Uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be doing that more, but at the moment it's once a week. And they give me a rough idea of what they want. And I'll say yes or no, what we can grow. Yeah. Uh, and um, if they have any uh, varieties of produce that they really want grown, we can do that. Or I'll sort of give them ideas as well. So um, it's a bit of a collaboration. And they're very creative too. They know that they have to be a little bit adaptive as well yeah. with what comes out of the garden. Because you can have all the intentions that the well, stuff that's will be it. ready by then. That's and it. But nature dictates when these things are going to be ready, not yeah. a date to maturity yeah, yeah. guide. Uh, so I can give them a rough guide, but sometimes we do have gaps. So they need to be a little bit adaptive. If, if one crop finishes, they can alternate with another crop until the next lot come yeah. on. So, yeah. So How's that relationship and do they enjoy being out in the garden and, and have you seen the menu change because of what, um, over the years? Because if you've been here for 20 years, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a very different offering, I gather, from what it was. It is, yeah. So the menu is really, um, it, uh, the, what's in the garden really dictates what's on the menu. Um, okay. So at the moment we've got a lot of just winter greens, brassicas, um, so a lot of those things will be going on um, and the three restaurants will be using those in different ways. Um, we do a lot of succession planting, so radishes, um, you know, they're roughly 30 to 45 days to maturity, so every two weeks I'll be reseeding um, radishes just so I can keep that going. Uh, I have the addition this year now of two big polytunnels, oh, cool. which is fantastic. Uh, so I have junior and senior. Yeah. Uh, senior is my 19.5 by 4 metre polytunnel. 
and juniors nine metres by 3.5 metres. Uh, so that just gives me real season season extension. Okay. Uh, and just, you know, crops that I wouldn't be able to get to germinate this time of year, like carrots, they're up and running uh, and they're roughly, you know, a couple of months to harvest. Now, you touched on before about learning on the job and, and, and constantly. How do you go about improving your skills? And oh, you've got two new polytunnels, but how do yep. you find out more about the, the issues that you face and, and growing challenges? Like, what, do you, what resources do you use to... Um, oh, I follow a lot of um, fantastic market gardeners. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, yeah. <laughs> like yours, um, and just um, seeing what other chefs are doing, what other growers are doing. Also on the peninsula, we have a lot of other small growers, so we all get together as well and we'll discuss any problems that we're having. Um, part of the, um, it's called the MPP, which is Mornington Peninsula Produce. Yeah. Um, there's a network of local growers that will often um, get together and just um, discuss what we're doing, if we have any guest sort of talkers, speakers. Um, yeah. One of the things I've always been admirable of, the people down here and the community that's down here, how much does the community play a role oh, big. in this? Very big. I mean, a lot of... Um, I do a lot of talking with um, other growers and small farmers, so... I do some great sort of trades at the moment. I'm trading um, some wine with some spent mushroom blocks from a fantastic local mushroom grower. Um, and then by talking to her, then I've got in touch with uh, a fantastic tomato grower uh, who does amazing heirloom tomatoes and has 200 varieties started already this year. Uh, so then it's just this real network, um, which is quite important, the peninsula being as it is, we have some amazing diverse growers down here and small-scale growers, so we're all sort of, you know, fighting the good cause and doing the good thing. So if we can share knowledge um, and help each other, then yeah. that's really beneficial. Yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges at the moment down here in terms of growing and, and taking... I'll take that back. I'll go back another question. What is it you're wanting to achieve out of what it is that you do here? And then some of the challenges around that. Uh, I think educating is one of my big things for here because um, we get a lot of young chefs in that haven't seen fresh produce. They don't know how a Brussels sprout grows. Um, they've never seen a Jerusalem artichoke in yeah. its natural state. Uh, so educating them about the seasons. Also educating about seed saving. Um, which I'm quite passionate about, and sharing those seeds. We have a lot of people that come through and um, will just stop and chat to me. Um, I'll be able to share some seeds with them. They'll often come back and tell me their stories of how they grew. Um, you know, then they shared the seeds and passed them on to you know, someone else. And it's just really lovely. You sort of sharing knowledge uh, and sharing seeds. And, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned earlier about heirloom seeds. So where do you get yours from as well? Oh, I source them from everywhere. Uh, I have... Um, secret sources? Secret sources, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. um, I do a lot of sourcing from overseas. Yeah. Um, but I also have people, you know, keeping an eye out for unusual varieties that, yeah. you know, we have tomatoes that a gentleman came in and said, I don't know what this variety is. It's Nono's tomato. We've grown it for years. So now we just call that Nono's tomato. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wendy's a big seed saver too. So she'll often, if she's out, someone will give her some seeds. Yeah. We don't know what it's called. Yeah. doesn't matter. Um, but that seed will then be Wendy's, you know, oval yeah. tomato. Yeah. Um, so the history of these seeds is fantastic, but often just the story that it's been passed down from generation. And the fact that they're heirloom is that yeah. you're making new seeds that are well, that's suited it. to this environment so definitely they're yeah. going to have their own story again that's it yeah open pollinated seeds are just fantastic yeah, if yeah. you know that you can save that seed and it will be like its parent yeah. uh, we have a few unusual crosses but even that's for, for the audience can you explain what open pollinated seed is uh, so seed that's pollinated by either bird wind something that's not been crossed uh, in a lab uh, and something that will grow true to type um, there seems to be 
you know, a lot of these uh, F1 variety seeds, which is uh, F1 is uh, filial one or family one. So to me, it's sort of the, the labradoodle of seeds. Yeah. Uh, it's not a Labrador, it's not a poodle, yeah. it's a cross. Yeah. Um, and you can save those seeds, but you could get a Labrador or a poodle or some yeah. sort of a Labradoodle. Um, just having all these heirloom seeds is um, keeping these varieties alive. And um, yeah, not being limited to what we get in the supermarket. Yeah. These seeds are ones that have been bred for flavour, not to withhold, you know, stand up in a truck and be dropped from a great height and not break. Uh, or last a month, you know, these things should be eaten so when they're ready. So how do you think ready. we change that though? Or do you think, how do you change people's, is that through the education? Do you yeah. then have classes or is it just through, one of the things I love here is that as I mentioned earlier, to you off this was that, oh, you know, you hear about the Royal Mail Hotel, you hear about Bray, you know. Yeah. This is amazing, Montalto, because you have so many people come through here and from from my perspective is you can showcase that you can grow this stuff. So, yeah. you know, yeah. subconsciously you're educating them as well. Yeah, I think it, it starts in the garden, but even in the restaurant because the chef's have that knowledge as well and the wait staff too like I often get wait staff coming out and yeah. give me a hand so they can even talk about some of these older varieties that we're growing so it's it's sharing that knowledge and then we also give away a lot of our seeds that also have the story of how they've been grown here yeah. a bit of history about that variety why we grow them and then they can grow that as well and just demystifying that seed saving. So many yeah. people think it's hard, but it's not. Yeah. And it, give it a go. If you fail, what does it matter? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, what does gardening mean to you? Oh, I think it means everything. It's, um, it's certainly, you know, my passion. It's, um, I'm lucky to have made it a full-time job. Um, so with that, though, then what do you do for a hobby? Because I'm in a similar <laughs> sort of... <laughs> boat as you and it's how do you differentiate work and then hobby do you do other things other than gardening oh uh, well, I do um I do a bit of sewing and um just craft um yeah. quite involved with you know kids sport at the moment that takes up a bit of time um but yeah pretty much if I'm not gardening here I'm gardening at home and I think the only way that the kids can sort of get my attention is if they come out and um stand and talk to me in the garden. So the garden at home looks okay? Oh, it's a bit of a jungle. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly doesn't get as much attention as this does. Yeah. Um, but that's where, you know, I'll sort of do a lot of my seed saving too. If I need to isolate something, yeah. um, I'll grow it at home to um, save the seed and then grow it here or I'll trial things at home. Um, I've got some unusual um, pumpkins at the moment that I grew over summer. Um, and hopefully this year I'll be able to grow them here. Other than food, is there anything else you like to grow? No, pretty much food. Yeah. If you can't eat it, I'm not really interested in it. Yeah, I, I sort of <laughs> agree with you. Mind you, like, you know, I still get a yeah. lot out of enjoyment of, of just plants in general. Yeah. But I do, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I'm, I kill house plants. I'm yeah. terrible. I have a, a big cemetery of just pots that have died. Yeah. Talking about that, uh, being a green thumb, yeah. what are some of your biggest failures? They're oh, obviously house plants, but so here, on the, here on the actual um, farm, oh. on the vineyard, what are some of the... Parsnips. They are the bane of my existence. Parsnips are just the nightmare. Yeah. To try and... I, I'm saving my own seed now because they're so fickle. The seed needs to be so fresh. They need to be sown at exactly the right time. They like their own personal space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That also being said, you grow a lot of stuff, so you don't specialise like there's farmers that will specialise and they get really good at growing one thing. Yeah. How do you manage that and how do you get better at growing a multitude of things and what are some of the techniques you, you do for that? Uh, well, I farm the property a bit differently. It's all organic, but I find that the top garden bed, so at our piazza, uh, the garden's a bit more of a showpiece and they need to be constantly full. So I use um, uh, bio-intensive growing methods. So John Jevons's double digging, which I've done on a few of the beds, and just I don't mulch the plants of their own living mulch. 
and if the chefs pull a row of something, it's reseeded in the afternoon. So there's no bare soil. Uh, and then on the market garden, which is our bigger garden, um, there's no till. So the beds were formed um, two years ago and they don't get worked over. So um, once a crop comes out of those beds, I'll just use our own compost. We compost everything from the kitchen. That'll get spread back over the bed uh, and then I'll reseed into that. Um, so it's, yeah, trying to sort of keep it um, full at all times is uh, yeah, a bit of a priority. And diversity, like I need to probably rein it in a little bit because I tend to grow a lot of different things uh, which can make it a little bit frustrating for the chefs because, yeah. you know, they'll sort of write a menu with, um, you know, at the moment I've got um, gai choy, a beautiful Asian green, which, um, which is nearly finished. So now I've sort of said, okay, the gai choy is finishing. I've got Honsai Thai to yeah. move on with. They're like, oh, and how long will that last? It's like, well, then I've got another great Asian green. <laughs> so, um, yeah, can be a little bit frustrating for them and I, I will rein it back in a little bit. Because how do they put that on the menu? Oh, you know? it's, it's hard and just trying to keep it, um, you know, it's, for me, I love diversity and, and saving these seeds, but it has to be practical as well for the restaurant. Um, you know, growing five different types of heirloom beetroots can be a little bit frustrating for them. Uh, so now I've reined it back and I just grow two heirloom varieties. Yeah. Is it sustainable in the sense of from a business perspective? Do they benefit from it? And, you know, as a business, from an economical perspective, could more places be doing this? Oh, look, I think that's a really good question. Um, is it sustainable? I suppose it depends what... Uh, sort of ethos you have like for us it's really important to uh, have a lot of these heirlooms because of uh, Wendy's work as well um, to have this garden is really important for the kitchen I don't know really if it could be financially viable but I think sometimes it's more than yeah. just money yeah. um, for us, it's just showcasing as well what we can do, uh, educating and just having that bonus as well of, you know, we have zero food miles. We're trying to be a closed loop system. I don't bring in anything to go on the garden. We compost everything uh, and then that gets spread back on. The only thing that I'm bringing in at the moment is a spent mushroom yeah. blocks, um, which are then composted to add a bit more um, warmth into our compost. On a personal note as well, how do you then gauge this, the success of what it is that you're doing? Uh, well, I think for me, I, I think it's really important and I think for the owners it's really important what we're doing. Um, and I think that's the main thing. Uh, the, the bonus of having the produce. Um, but just, you know, the educating, the growing of all these things, um, having that day of the garden for our chefs, I think that's that's really important. Yeah. And it seems to be really important for the owners too, which is yeah. lovely. Yeah, well, you're doing a lovely job. Thank you. And I want to have a look. Yes. So can we go for a bit and of a wander? And um, <laughs> yeah, so I can geek out, can't yes, a bit. Yes, so let's. Let's do this. So we're just sort of walking between Tux Ridge and Montalto, and we're going to head down to, we've got a large wetlands, and hidden down there as well is our netted berries. Uh, we've got some large A-frames as well that I trellis pumpkins on. Uh, at the moment we've got, uh, everything's just sort of still sleeping. So we've got kiwi fruit, raspberries, uh, blueberries, uh, and our orchard as well, which has just finished being pruned. So I had the chefs helping me do that. Um, in terms of, it's a large property. It is. Um, <laughs> pests, how do you deal with pests here? Oh, nets, lots of exclusion nets. As you can see, there's a lot of white nets around. We have uh, rabbits, we have birds that just love to kick seeds around. Um, the rabbits I've found, blood and bone, they hate the smell okay. of death. Uh, so that sort of tends to keep them away for a little while um, and also the benefit of you know, adding to the soil. So I sort of find now that if I have something that's uncovered, um, I'll sprinkle a little bit of blood and bone around and that'll tend to keep them away for a bit. 
Um, it's sort of its own sort of... We've got such a biodiversity. We have frogs in the polytunnels that seem to be cleaning up the slugs at the moment, which is great. I just have to make sure I don't cut through frog when I'm harvesting lettuce. Um, but yeah, the pests, the, the main ones would probably just be rabbits uh, and a lot of the water, water hens because we've got the wetlands. They've discovered my garlic as well, so I've sort of watched a few of them running past with a garlic be, in their mouth. It can be extremely disheartening too. It can be, um, yes. Much as I love looking at them, I'd rather the garlic. True. In terms of these olives you've got running down here, do you yeah. pick those? And we do. So we've got the 1,500 olive trees bordering the property. Um, they sort of border all the vineyards and we've got about 10 different varieties. They're all uh, harvested around May and the majority of them get pressed into oil that we serve in the restaurant, but a percentage of them as well, they'll be brined uh, and served to guests as well. Okay. And the vineyard? Yeah, the vineyard's probably... Well, a lot of these vines date back to well, nearly 30, 35 years now. Um, mainly Pinot and Chardonnay for the Mornington Peninsula because we're a cooler climate. Um, but we've also got Riesling, uh, Pinot Gris, uh, Shiraz at one of our other sites. Um, yeah. Now, you, you're a gardener, but are you, are you a cook at home? Oh... I do a lot of the growing and I'm lucky that my partner likes to cook. So I just tend to bring things home and she works her magic with everything. I don't actually have to cook much <laughs> I, at all. I have the I same like sort of relationship. I like <laughs> it, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a good setup. I sort of, uh, yes, we'll turn up with a box. I'll bring often things home from the restaurant or from the garden and um, just say, here you are. So, so what's your, fa your favourite thing to grow? Ah, uh, probably radishes. I love some of the unusual radish varieties. Um, and they're just so, you know, 30 days to harvest. You know, the seeds germinate within a few days and they're just so satisfying to pull them out of the ground. So we're walking up the orchard up here. What yep. kind of... have you? Is this new? Has this been here for a while? Or? Uh, the berries have probably been in now for, oh gosh... 16 years uh, so we netted them probably 15 years ago um, some of these citrus trees have been in for 15 years too um, so down here we've got citrus groves around the property um, but this little one has mainly Tahitian limes uh, it has some uh, grapefruits, ruby grapefruits uh, and lemons and then we've got the big A-frames that uh, I'll grow different things up. This year I grew a chochas, okay. which is a, a Bolivian stuffing cucumber. All right. They're amazing. They're, um, they're also called a slipper gourd. They're um, hollow inside, and you can traditionally stuff them with meat and then cook okay. them. Um, but they're amazing. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. When they're little, they're just so sweet. How do you go pruning these things as well, the, all oh, these berries? Yeah, That's a bit of a early. job. It is. Yeah, pruning time is sort of I have to just dedicate, you know, it's, it's not too bad. With the property here, if I just sort of dedicate, you know, one day I'll say, okay, pruning raspberries and just do that until it's done. Yeah. And so it sort of takes a couple of days, but I'm working out different methods of... So do you give yourself like a calendar that you work by or are you really planned or are you just take sort of a bit organic in that as well? Um, kind of planned, but also just seeing what the plants are doing. Um, and then, so these are all elderberries. Last year I cut them down quite hard because they do fruit better on new wood. Um, but this year I've left them um, just to sort of get a bit more height on them. So also, you know, the um, kiwi fruit, that gets pruned every year. Um, but when that's, you know, if I start cutting it and I can see sap flow, then I know that to either still wait, it's not quite ready, um, or I've missed the boat and it's, you know, yeah. a bit too later in the season. Now, you've been here a long time, working this property for a long time. How have you seen things change and is it, is it always changing and what are the, like, are there challenges like from climatical things and those sorts of things at all? Yeah, there is. So as everything's growing... 
uh, it's sort of creating different pockets of microclimate. So where we are now is a rose garden. So this garden was planted 20 years ago and a lot of these trees around, and especially as well with the kiwi fruit, there wasn't as much bush around, whereas now um, it doesn't get, it's quite protected in here. So the roses do quite well. The kiwi fruit tends to get a little bit shaded out. Um, but yeah, as everything's growing, um, things do get moved around. I've sort of concentrated a lot of our raspberries into one area um, and made room for other things. So this year will be kiwi berries um, trellised under the nets. Um, but just finding different ways of doing things. Um, I've discovered a bird scarer that um, seems to be working a treat in our orchard. Yeah. Uh, it makes all these different calls of birds in distress and you cannot hear a bird around when it's going. It's brilliant. <laughs> Talking about the fact that you get so many people through here, too, how do you deal with getting people to stay out or not? touch produce and oh that's always going to be a a problem people are always going under the nets to eat raspberries and look if they do that as long as they're eating the produce and not throwing it around i'm fine with it um you know if kids want to pull off you know a flower head or try a snow pea or a tomato i think that's great um that's educating them as well that that's how something grows um yeah, you're going to get losses. It's just part of the, you know, it's so tempting. <laughs> but it's hard because I'm gathering you've been, you know, you're really attached to it. And oh, to I see am. it come and go, oh, someone's taken that. Oh, it does. I know myself, I grow stuff in the nature strip. And the whole reason I grow it for people and it is for them to take. There's still this little part of me that goes, oh, yeah. I was like watching that grow. Yeah, you know? that's it. Oh, you've cut that the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. You know, I really have that thing. I don't know. I, I really struggle with with sometimes harvesting because I just want to keep watching it grow. Yes, yes, yes. I find that I'll be admiring something and then, yes, possums will attack it or rabbits will come through or or kids will pull something off a tree. But, you know, it's just part of of what what we do. Um, Yeah, you're going to get losses. I know. (laughs) You create abundance and everyone wants to share that abundance. The trees as well. (laughs) Um, You've got bees. Yes. Are they new? Got, I don't think we had them last time. No, we've, we've always had hives dotted around the property. But um, this year we've got the girls moved in early into the orchard and then I've got another hive on the market garden. Yeah, nice. So, um, yeah, so we're not really taking anything, certainly not this time of year. Um, but it'll be just something that we'll be able to offer to the chefs. Um, we'd never be able to produce a commercial amount. Yep. But they're mainly in there for pollination. Lovely. And they're lovely to watch too. I could I could spend hours watching them. They're fascinating. Oh, they are. I'm like, wow. I have mine on a balcony just so I can watch them. Oh, wow. I sit there sometimes working just on a desk and I just watch them all afternoon. Yep. Um, yeah. They're good time wasters, like aren't it's they? It's like an airport. You just watch it them is. come in and out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um, quite exciting at the moment watching them with their little pollen... I've, I've got Sexful. to do well. That's what you do, and go. And yeah. it's part. It's a bit. I guess my other reason I've, I've become a bit of a beekeeper recently. It's been my new hobby. Yeah. But it's very similar to gardening because it's it's this idea of this. It's a process of observation, and that's what gardening is. You just spend yeah. time. You look because because no two days are ever the same. Yeah. So you've got to really be attuned to what is happening. Yeah, definitely. And it, when it's when, when it's when you're not looking, that's when things go astray exactly. or things so that's why i've always said oh people gardening anyone can be a gardener yeah just you've got to spend the time yeah that's it and that's you've got to look and observe it so yeah that's and, and just yeah that's that observation is so important yeah so many people you know they want that instant you know or you know they'll see a pest and you know but if you watch you often find that nature has a way of yeah. balancing things yeah, yeah. and if you let that happen yeah you're not going to knock things out that no I tend to like people always ask me oh what's wrong with my such and such or could I be I'm like no just let it be yeah let's see what happens we've got a lot of sculptures part of what Montalto does is we have our sculpture exhibition every year Um, we have uh, probably 20 pieces that are permanent to the collection um, but they also work beautifully with the property. So 
It's lovely. Every year, you know, around the time when they start arriving, that's great. You come around a corner and there'll be a lovely pair of, like, iron curtains or <laughs> a coat of arms fighting or, yeah, a tractor covered in expander foam. <laughs> it is a tractor. <laughs> it sort of looks like blue gunk. And it's like it's, like, just melted away. That's the only way I can explain it looks <laughs> like. It's, um... So that's called Abstractor. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful old tractor, uh, but that's part of the permanent collection now. And it's, it's such a cool piece. I love yeah. that. Talking about tractors, you yes. mentioned earlier that you don't till anything. Mm. So it's so manual, it's manual, like it's intensive. How yes. do you go with that, even physically? Yeah. From like, that's hard work. <laughs> it is. I get really sore back sometimes. So I have a rake. Yeah. And uh, I have a Jang Cedar now, which makes my life so much easier. I do, I've got a, a little front-end loader now, which okay. um, makes life a bit easier for emptying the compost bays. Yeah. Um, but even doing that, having the chefs, you know, I, I can sort of say till I'm blue in the face, please no one put elastic bands in the compost. But until the chefs have to help me empty a bay and pick every single elastic band out, mm. um, sort of my passive-aggressive way of saying, oh, look at that, look at all those elastic bands, who do that? And then they go into the kitchen and say, nobody put elastic bands in. I just had to pull out a bucket load of them. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's great. And you've got a heap of figs here. We do. heap of figs. My favourite yes. fruit tree, actually. Um, how long? They, they, look, they don't look that old. Uh, they're not. They're sort of, um, they're probably 12 years old. Okay. Um, there's, my favourites are the Adriatics, but we've also got... Um, turkey brown brown turkeys and genoas but um yeah the adriatics are definitely my favorite so i do cuttings every year so i'll give you a cutting to take i'd home love too. one yeah. I won't, I won't, i'll find somewhere to put it yeah great in a pot yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um i'm moving more now towards australian native botanicals yeah so we've got so um, where do you learn more about Ah, just Googling. Yeah. Um, reading lots. Um, talking to uh, Julie at Peppermint Ridge. Yeah. She's, um, she's got a lot of knowledge. Um, Karen Sutherland at um, yep. Edible Eden. Yeah. Um, and just, yeah, doing a lot of reading. So I sort of stick to the ones that I know. Uh, our new chef here is right into Australian natives as well. Yep. So I'm growing lots of Geraldton wax. Um, I brought some Kunzia back from Tassie, so I'm trying to strike that. Um, but I've just got, you know, the safe ones that I know are okay, like River Mint, um, yep. Native Thyme, um, Saltbush. So, but yeah, it's, I like that idea because they're perennial. I don't have to keep pulling them out and redoing work on the beds. Yeah. Uh, and they can just look like a garden. I yep. don't sort of look like a, a market garden anymore. In a suburban block. Yeah. Just yep. <laughs> what I looked like. It's, um, well, that is the challenge, is trying to come up with that is something a bit more permanent and doesn't require the same. Because then you can teach others how to do the same. Because imagine if everyone had gardens. Yes. And uh, everything in it was useful. Well, that's it. I think that, you know, it's, if you can't eat it, it doesn't really interest me. I think that, you know, we can have a beautiful garden and be able to eat it too, which yeah. is, you know, a lot of these things, and just thinking outside the square too with, you know, we grow our pumpkins knowing that you can eat the growing tips. They're delicious. Or zucchini leaves, the hollow stem, it's perfect for making like rigatoni out of, carb-free, um, stuffing and making cannelloni out of. So we do a lot of, um, you know, we talk about nose-to-tail eating. I think we should do more root-to-tip eating. Yeah, I agree, just, uh, and have yeah. less wastage. And, Definitely. Um, yeah. Educating people too. There's so much, you know. We need to dis demystify as well what can be recycled and what can't. There's so much, you know, can I do this? Can I, can't I do that? You know, when you start recycling, I'll let it ride. Yeah. When you start, you sort of realise just how much you sort of do generate. I mean, we're sort of lucky that our chickens will eat a lot of the waste. Yeah. Um, and our dog will eat the stuff that doesn't get eaten by the chickens. 
I'd love to see more more stuff done in schools. Definitely. But not Definitely. so much, not so much from a primary level. Yeah. I'd like to see more teenagers be encouraged to have a career in gardening and follow their passion. So yeah. you've done that. Um, that obviously comes with financial sacrifices, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where, this is the thing. I We're wouldn't get rich doing this. <laughs> no. Um, but would you do, would you encourage people to, or your own kids, would you get them to follow the same path? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I would love to see them doing something with their hands, you know, in horticulture. Um, but just, I think it's just teaching them too that money isn't everything. You know, we put so much emphasis on our kids and what are you going to do when you grow up and what career are you going to have? Yeah. What about what kind of a life do you want? What, you know, what, what makes you happy? That's something that I love doing here is I do a lot of bartering. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I trade a, a ute load of spent mushroom blocks for a bottle of Pinot. It's, you know, it makes them happy. I get something for free. We're not actually swapping, exchanging money. Yeah. Um, and I've done that as well with, there's another great business down the road, um, Eco Dust. Yeah. She sells paramagnetic rock dust. Yeah. And so she dropped off 20 kilos of rock dust for a dinner for two in the restaurant. Um, and I'll trade her some wine for the next lot. Um, you know, not everyone can farm this way. Yep. And do things this way. Um, how do you see moving forward? I think going back to a lot of small farms, being able to feed a community, not on a bigger scale. Yep. We have so many big, you know, just that just farms that just grow cauliflowers. Um, I'd like to see more smaller farms with more diversity yeah. um, and being able to grow, you know, or buy you know, if I can't grow potatoes, I know there's a great potato grower down the road that also does sweet corn and yeah. other things um, and source from him. Um, yeah, more growing in backyards, more growing in pots. Yeah. So many of the things that we grow on a big scale, you can grow quite happily in a pot. True. Yeah, on yeah. a balcony. Yeah. And you don't even have to own the place. That's it, exactly. You, know, so you can take it yep. with you if you rent. Yep. Talking about futures, well, what's the future plan for this garden? So this is going to extend again. Okay. So we'll go down to the polytunnels. So this is Junior, my smaller polytunnel. So he's been massed out with carrots uh, and French breakfast radishes and watermelon radishes. So these will grow. They were able to germinate these in two weeks, which is fantastic. Now, carrots, I see. Yep. How do you go thinning them? I've actually sown them quite thin anyway, and the thinnings the kitchen will take. Okay. So I will actually go along, once they're actually up a bit bigger, I'll go along, and when they get to sort of almost finger size, I'll thin them out, and the chefs will use those on a dish. Okay. They're also using the tops as well yep. um, to make pesto. But, yeah, it can be quite annoying but yeah just trying to working out with my jang cedar as well which wheels to use okay um i think i've i think i've got it a better um spacing now and little thieves that come and steal seeds yes <laughs> yes they're suckers for peanut butter all right so i put peanut butter on all the traps and at least that way then i can we're, throw them we're out. talking about some mice <laughs> <and> gathering <laughs> yes um, and do you have problems with ants? I find ants steal my seeds. Uh, no. no. The ants seem to like the peanut butter too. So whether okay. they're sort of just getting drawn to that. But um, the ants don't seem to worry like me it. too okay. much. No. But the mice, they're, yeah. yeah, I think I'm up to catching 15 in this polytunnel. Yeah. Um, it's so lovely and warm in here. I don't blame you. But um, it's sort of a, I can then throw them out the door and, yeah, you know, the hawks can that, get them. It's cold, all right? Yes. How do you get up to come out here on, on a cold winter's day? It's, Ooh. you know. Uh, really glad I've got two polytunnels now. <laughs> it's like summer in here. I can just hide out in here and do weeding and it just, you know, Normally, before, if it would rain, I'd just go and do something in the sheds, but now I can come in here and weed and 
have a bit of a potter. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. So we'll go into Senior. Yep. This one, this polytunnel I actually got for free from Flinders. A guy rang me up and said he was a land developer or something and he was going to knock over this house that had a polytunnel. Okay. And he said, if you want it, you've got to come and get it tomorrow. So I grabbed one of the Yeah. Ships and we pulled it down and... That's the thing. That's that, you know, people think that you need acres. Yeah. Um, but you don't. Like, I may do for quite a while with just the small piazza gardens. Yeah. And I was pulling $3,500 worth of produce out of those every yeah. month yeah. Um, upwards. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't need a lot of space. No. Just enthusiasm. That's it. And creativity. <laughs> so we'll have a little look in senior. Creepy door. <laughs> <laughs> the haunted house. So you can feel how lovely it is in here. Oh, Isn't it beautiful? It is, it's warm. It smells of things growing. Great. See why the frogs love it in here too. So you grow everything from seed? Do you buy any seedlings? No, 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 no seedlings. Yeah. Um, the cost of buying seedlings. Yeah. And I just, I, you know, you just don't get, don't get that... that um, variety. Variety, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas seeds, you know, and I, it's that whole nurturing thing is you can take a tiny seed and it's just, yeah, follow it through. Yeah. And yeah. then save it. This is so. my favourite vegetable. I, I did mention earlier. The simidarapa? Yeah. Yeah. Um, love it, just with like chickpeas, some chilli. Oh, it's delicious. The flavour. Just fry it up and then put it with some pasta. It might um, be getting a little bit bitter now. Up, but that's but what I like about it. <laughs> I love I love the bitterness. This we're actually now keeping. I'll open the doors and the bees will come in here yeah. too. So this wasn't actually going to be kept for seed. I've got a lot of seed that I save from outdoor beds. But um, this is its second cut. Mm-hmm. So um, this is probably, you know, at its end now. Yep. But then further down we've got another succession of Simidarapa. That'll be ready in another week or two. Uh, this is Gai Choi, which is a beautiful Asian leaf. Uh, it forms these lovely sort of clam-shaped little hearts. And the frogs seem to love hiding in here. We've got a lot of little um, brown tree frogs that um, love to hide in here and eat all the slugs. So the slugs were a bit of a problem, but we seem to have um, balanced that nicely with frogs. We found some friends. Yeah. I'm sure there's a few blue, blue tongues hiding in here too. Um, so, yeah, these cos lettuce, these will be used in the piazza. Um, and then I've got another succession going on outside as well. Um, carrots are being harvested now. These are ones that were started uh, at the start of winter mm-hmm. and they're just coming out now. So, but, you know, if these were out in the ground without being in the polytunnel, they'd pretty much just tick away over winter until spring and then I'd pull them. But, um, yeah, so this will all come out soon and get ready for tomatoes and cucumbers and basil. So that'll be fun. Growing in summer in a polytunnel, I've never done that before. It's going to get hot. <laughs> it sure is. I wish I would have um, thought about it better and done roll-up sides yeah. on this just to sort of get a bit better airflow because I think mildew could be a bit of a problem come summer. Very yeah, cool. it's certainly warm, isn't it? It is. I'm going whoa. Yeah. This is the best flavour. This is called Honsai Thai. So this is a really lovely Asian green. Have a taste of this. It's mm. quite nutty. Um, it's probably getting a little bit past it now. But that in a stir fry, so delicious. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So good, so isn't you it? You don't get that when you buy something. Do you know that? Just where it melts. Yep. That's, That's it. Mm. If you don't, you can't put this stuff in the fridge. It's still alive. Mm. You know, this plant's still living. Mm. You know, the stuff we buy in the supermarket, it's dead. Mm -hmm. You know, Fab, is it turnip top? No, it's basically, there's different areas. So some places they call it rapi, some places rapini. So it's all different. They've got a million different names for it. Right, yeah. It's all pretty much the same thing. Okay. But then there's also turnip tops that they are turnips and they grow similar to that. So I think they're very closely related. Right. So different regions will call it different. Yeah, different things, things. which makes it confusing. It does, doesn't it? It's like, oh, what is that? Yeah. Okay. But it's all essentially very similar. Yeah. um, 
interrelated. And how yeah. would you cook it? We'd like broccoli, all right? Yeah. And it's treated like a broccoli in, like a sprouting broccoli. So I wait for the flowers, the heads also, and then yep. all I've ever done with my grandparents, two ways we typically will eat it, fry it up with some eggs. Yep. Just as a, like yes. as a, um, like a, Omelette with with yep. fold, well, you fry it up first. I always what I do is I cut garlic really fine, fry it up in oil, and then fry the chuck the the rapini in, and then fry that for a little bit till it wilts a little bit, tiny bit of water. Yeah, yeah. And then I just throw in a couple eggs. Yeah. And then just stir it up, and that's how we'll eat it predominantly for like lunch. You know, yep. some crusty bread for catch or whatever, oh, or we'll eat lunch. pasta. Often pasta, just whether I tend to do it, like I said before, I'll just fry up again oil, chili, chickpeas. Yep. Then I'll throw in the rapini later, and then I'll just throw in some pasta. Wow. You know, um, you know? and it, this is probably not a better lunch, I reckon. I'm getting hungry. Julie, thank you so much again for taking me around um, this lovely property. Thanks and you're doing a great that. job and truthfully you're one of the people that inspire me oh thank you so much thank you for coming i I really appreciate you know i love being able to talk about what we're doing here and um really grateful well you've got a beautiful space and um yeah i'm slightly jealous (laughs) thank you (laughs) thanks this episode of the hungry gardener podcast is brought to you by yourgrocer.com.au simply order online and enjoy same day delivery right to your kitchen bench You can choose from some of Melbourne's best independent butchers, bakers, grocers and coffee roasters and receive it all in one delivery. So skip the traffic, parking and queues and go to yourgrocer.com.au. Enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive two weeks free delivery and $20 off your first order. That's yourgrocer.com.au and remember to enter the promo code HUNGRY to receive your discount today. been listening to the hungry gardener podcast with me fabian capamola for information or to be notified of the latest episodes be sure to head to the website thehungrygardener.com.au we'd love to hear from you so please get in touch and tell us your thoughts it might be suggestions for future guests or topics you'd like to hear us discuss shout outs to ben hodson from the pearl film company for producing the show frank alloy from frank alloy design for the logo and the branding and to Leiden for the intro music track thanks for listening